Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So hi, everyone. If you don't know me, I'm Jasmine. Um, you probably haven't seen me around a whole lot in the past six months. That's because I'm a full-time missionary with Circuit Riders. So my mission field is Gen Z, which is why I'm so excited this morning. Um, I'm one of the 24-year-olds preaching this morning. So it's going to be great. Um, I'm so excited. And this morning, I'm going to be talking a little bit about faith for a generation and what that looks like. I really do believe that God is calling a generation into into faith that he's calling his people to live in courageous and bold faith. See, the reality is that living in faith is actually our original design, right? So God intended for us to live from a place that says, I know who he is. I know what he says, and I know that he is the God who will do what he says, right? God has called us to live in and from the finished work of the cross. And the finished work of the cross says this, my God has conquered it all, and I will give him my all in response to his victory. But I believe that unbelief is attempting to steal a generation from walking in the inheritance of faith, right? We see this everywhere we go, right? It's no surprise. We see it on the news. We see it in the culture. But what I know is that God is calling us higher, and he's calling us back to the faith that came from the cross. See, unbelief comes to keep us in a place of indifference, of fear, of doubt, of opposition. It quite literally violates our identity, right? How do we know that? Because faith is our identity. It's our original design. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So when we come into agreement with unbelief, what happens, right? This is what happens. We come into an agreement with the reality that keeps us from walking with God. We come into agreement with the reality that keeps us from drawing near to him. How do we know this? Again, Hebrews eleven six 6 just says this, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We were made to please him, right? Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. If we want to draw near, we must what? Believe. But faith, this is the good news. We have faith. Faith is a beautiful gift that the Lord has bestowed upon us all, and we get to walk in the inheritance of it, right? Faith says, God, I trust you. Faith says, I don't know what the circumstances look like. It seems really hard. It doesn't make sense. Or as I like to say, the math ain't mathing, but God, I trust you, right? I trust you, right? God's faith says, God, I believe what you say about my family. I believe what you say about my inheritance. I believe what you say about my generation. I believe what you say because I know that you are the risen king, right? Faith says, God, I'm going to take the step of obedience, even if it's crazy, because I know that I can trust you. Why? Because you are the only God. This is faith. Faith quite literally says God can, God does, and God will. Faith says God can, God does, and God will. I want to look at the story of Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 14 really briefly. Um, it starts, it's 13 and 14 actually, but we don't have time to read all of that. So I'm just going to give you a quick backdrop on what's happening. And then we're going to look at Numbers 14 verses 6 through 9. Okay, so this is what's happening. Moses is with the Israelites in the wilderness. And they are outside of Canaan, which is the promised land that God has said, this is yours. I will give it to you, right? And God tells Moses, I want you to send 12 spies into Canaan to bring back a report for the people so that they know what's going on in the land, right? So Moses picks 12 spies, one from each tribe, and two of those people happen to be Caleb and Joshua. 
Okay, so these spies go out into the land of Canaan and they're going to get their report for the land. So they come back and they have reports for the land. But the kicker here is that 10 of the 12 spies have a negative report about what God has already promised to them. So only Joshua and Caleb come back with positive reports about the promised land. Only two of the 12 come back with positive reports about what God had already promised to them. Caleb comes back, Joshua comes back, and they're like, this is the land that God has promised to us. We must walk into it. We must occupy the land. And the other 10 are like, wait a minute. We can't do that. There's no way. It's impossible. Did you not see the giants in the land? There's no way we can occupy this land. And literally, their negative reports sowed seeds of hopelessness in the people of Israel. It sowed seeds of hopelessness among them for something that God had already promised them. So let's pick up at verse 6 here. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunim, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Why is it that Joshua and Caleb could come back with this report when they saw the same land that the other 10 spies did? How is it that they could come back with a report that says this is our land to occupy? The difference was that Joshua and Caleb had partnered with faith, right? They had partnered with faith to see the reality of the promise. The 10 spies who had not partnered with faith only looked and saw the circumstances of the land, but Caleb and Joshua saw the promise. And that's the key. Faith literally activates our sight to see. It's the key. Faith activates our sight to see the promise of God. So the question is, will we believe the report of the Lord? Will we partner with faith and say, God, I trust you, God, I know what you said, and I will see the promises. Will we believe the report of the Lord? We must stand and say, yes, I see the giants. I've seen the giants. I know what it looks like, but I know that my God still sits on the throne. I know there isn't a battle he's ever lost. I know there's not a sea he can't part. I know there's nothing that he quite literally can't do. Faith has to be bigger than opposition. Faith has to be bigger than unbelief. Faith has to be bigger than doubt and fear because our God still sits on the throne. So who will be the Joshua's and Caleb's? Who will be the ones who stand up and say, I know the report of the Lord for this generation? Who will be the ones who are willing to prophesy and say, Gen Z will be suicide free? Who are the ones who will be willing to prophesy and say, Gen Z will walk in the power and the authority of the living God? Who are the ones who will stand up and say that Gen Z will see the lost saved, the dead raised, and the sick healed? Who will be the ones who will say that my college, my university, my high school, my workplace belongs to Jesus? Who will be the ones who will say my city and my region and the nations are his reward? This is the inheritance of faith, that we would see the promises of God no matter what it looks like, because he is true. We can never fail when we activate our faith in connection with God. We can never fail. God is calling us to arise in faith. He's calling a generation to arise in faith. He's calling a people to arise in faith and to stand and say, no matter what the statistics say, no matter what the news is saying, no matter what the culture is saying, I choose to partner with faith and believe the Lord. 
It's time to break up with unbelief. It's time to get rid of it because it's not our inheritance. Unbelief is not your inheritance. It's time for us to step into faith, to partner with the Lord and see the promises of God fulfilled over our generation, over our nations, over our workplaces, and over our families. This is our inheritance, that we will walk in faith. In Jesus' name. Come on. I told you all we were in for a treat, okay? I, I told you all. Next up, we have Christian. Woo! Hi, everyone. My name is Christian. Um, I know a lot of you were wondering who the 16-year-old was. That, that's me. Uh, yeah, I've been in Ignited for, I think, six years. So it's been a minute. And I still got two more years, so that's the best part. Um, I'm going to be in John chapter 6, if you want to come with me there, about the feeding of the 5,000. If you don't know the story, welcome back to church. And the disciples, <laughs> um, the disciples were in a little bit of a situation. They're trying to find out a strategy to feed all these people, 5,000 men, and there are women and children as well. And they can't really find a, a strategy. And Andrew brings a boy, it says in verse 9, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled... He said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And I want to tell you this, that Jesus does not need to work on a special occasion because he's the one that comes in and makes the occasion special. Jesus is the one that comes in and, and gives hope and life and love to our lives. And, you know, a lot of the times we look at our surroundings and try to have a higher expectation or base our expectation of what God can do on what we see. But God does not conform to our, his surroundings. God is the one who changes his surroundings. When God comes in, he's the one who changes everything around him. And that's because Jesus isn't limited to the expectations that other people have of him. You see, the disciples probably lowered their expectations. They were trying to see if they had enough money. They didn't have nearly enough. They couldn't find out any other strategy. So they lowered their expectations. But that didn't change the power of God because he's the same God, and he's always faithful when we are not. And what that means for us is that we have to have what I call an active expectation. You know, a lot of you work, exercise. Hopefully, you're not actively, you know, doing jumping jacks or something right now. But you probably do some of these things. You're not actively doing it right now. You're in church. But actually, on the contrary, we have to have an active expectation where we always expect God to work in our lives, no matter what we see, no matter how ordinary our lives is. We expect him to move and work in our lives. And it, it doesn't matter what we see in our lives. We have to have an active expectation. And one thing God really showed me was that when you base your expectation on of what he can do based off your surroundings, what you're saying to him, not only you're just walking by sight, but what you're saying to God is, I trust what I see more than I trust who you are. And that is a dangerous place to live. And what, God, and what I, I'm here to tell you is that having an active expectation is about trusting God more than you trust what you see. 
knowing that even when everything around you may be changing, he's not changing. When everything around you is falling apart, he will, he will lift you back up in due time. And that, that's a blessing to know. Without active expectation, we're putting a limitation on what God can do in our lives. Jesus did an amazing thing for the crowd. He also did an amazing thing through the little boy. And we may put a limit ourselves on what God can do for us and what God can do through us without an active expectation, with believing in God based on what we see around us. We can't put conditions on our trust in God. I'll trust you if everything is right, if I got this amount of money, if I, if I have everything right in my life, if my relationships are good. You got to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You got to give everything to him. You can't, you can't expect to receive full blessings and and give him half of your faith half of your resources you got to be willing to sacrifice everything and when you do that and have an active expectation believing God will always work no matter if it feels like you're going through the same you're just going through motions every single day no matter how it feels if you keep believing God he's going to do an amazing thing in us for you and through you and that's what being holy is all about the word literally means set apart and different and unique. And Jesus, like I said, he did not conform to his surroundings. He changed his surroundings. And being holy means we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to walk into places and, and we're going to bring heaven down where, with us wherever we go in the workplace, at home, in every relationship, in every conversation, every moment we bring heaven down with us and the love of Jesus becomes contagious. When we have an active expectation, we start praying prayers like it's already done, like what well, that we know the will of God and it's already come to pass in our life. Let me tell you, when you have an active expectation, you're going to believe for the supernatural in times when everything seems normal in your life. When you have an active expectation, you're not going to wait on God to give you a blessing in order to believe what he's already spoken in his word. You're not going to wait because you're actively believing in him. That's what it means to be holy. Some of us are not going to wait for proof anymore. We're going to be the living proof that Jesus still works and it's still good. We're going to be the living proof. That's a blessing just, just to walk around and when, when other people ask you, hey, what, what has God done for you? How do I know God is real? Just look at me. I'm alive. I'm well. I still, I still got everything together. I, I may not be perfect, but I'm moving forward with Jesus. And I still believe that if he did the works with Moses, if he did the works with Abraham, if he did the works with Jesus, Jesus said we would do greater works. So Jesus, when we got Jesus, everything is going to be added. And that's a blessing to live by active expectation. What I really believe for this next generation, as someone who is in this generation, like I'm really believing that he's raising up an army. He's raising up an army, right? And soldiers, I was thinking about this just last night, actually. Soldiers, they only listen to their commander, whether it makes sense or not. They listen to their commander and this, this generation, I really believe, is gonna be, are gonna be warriors of the kingdom of God. We're gonna listen to what Jesus says. No matter, no matter if it makes sense or not. Cause my trust is not in me. My trust is not in what's around me nearly as much as my trust is in God, who is gonna raise up an army for this next generation. Oh. Amen. Is that it? That was, Hello, test one, two, 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 test. Just having real lots of fun. Nothing? All right, say amen. Test one, two. No, he was done. He was done. 
Test one, one, test, test. All right, we got something. Whoo! What was that last line? I was, it was so good. Just expect the kingdom of heaven or something, and then mic drop. But instead, <laughs> instead, we just cut off the mic on purpose. All right, next up we have Sarah Smith. Hello. Yes, I am Sarah. I am 19. Um, I'm currently on my second gap year between high school and university. Before you ask, no, I don't have any plans for my future. Still figuring that out. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I today I'm going to talk about um, how God loves to use imperfect and weak people. And the very fact that I'm standing here today in front of you preaching is the perfect example of that, that God loves to use weak and imperfect people. Um, so yeah, the first person I'm going to talk about is Paul in the Bible. He was an imperfect person. Before he came to know Jesus, he was persecuting Christians, imprisoning them, um, not being very nice. Um, and God still used him. God still loves him. Um, even though he wasn't repentant, even though he didn't know the right way, he was still used by God. Um, God encountered him in his weakness um, and, and used him to do amazing, incredible things. And his life was transformed completely. Um, but Paul didn't become immediately perfect. He still did amazing things for God, but he was still weak. He had a thorn in his side that he describes in 2 Corinthians 12. Um, and I'm going to read uh, from chapter from verse 8. Um, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Um, so we can see that Paul is crying out to the Lord, Lord, take this weakness away. Take my the thorn out of my side away. And God says something so powerful. He says, no. My grace is sufficient. I am enough for you. I will still work through you because I love you and I have amazing plans for your life. Um, so Paul came humbly um, and he, uh, God t- told him that he's still going to use him. And he, it's not about us. It's about God and his power. And so we can use this as an example. We are allowed to struggle. We are allowed to be imperfect. We are allowed to be weak. And God, and we are allowed to boast in that and be happy in our weakness because it allows God's space to shine through us, to use us for amazing things. Um, that our weakness doesn't take away from God's goodness. He is enough. His grace is enough. Um, we acknowledge, when we come humbly, we acknowledge we have a need for God. So for me, a little personal testimony. The past five months, I was a small group leader at the School of Ministry in Toronto. Woo woo. Um, it was great. Um, I loved it. But for the beginning, when they asked me from like the first couple of months, I was so insecure. I felt so nervous. I was like, God, you chose the wrong person. I'm leading girls that are the same age as me and they have the same struggles that I'm going through. Like I should not be in this position. Um, and I was struggling with this. I felt unworthy. And then my dad came in, um, and he was teaching on, um, like the second Corinthians three, uh, verses five to six. So I'm going to read that to you now. And it says, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And at first when he was explaining this, I was kind of confused. It's a lot of the word competent over and over again. Didn't really know what it meant, but 
um, as he broke it down, what he was saying is basically, we are not capable in ourselves. We cannot do it on our own. God is capable. God is our ability. And then God gives us the capability to do it. God is makes us able. He ma- gives us our competency. So I was right. In that time when I felt weak and insecure, I couldn't do it on my own. I'm not good enough to do it on my own. But I am. I do have the Holy Spirit inside of me. And he always is dwelling inside of me. So I am now competent because of him. When I submit to him and his authority, and I say, God, take over, then he can come and shine. And it's not about me and it's beautiful. It's glorifying him. Um, so yeah, I would pray this prayer of more of you and less of me. God shine through me. Let me diminish. And would you increase in me? Not just when I'm leading worship, not just when I'm preaching or teaching, but in the small conversations I have with people, God, would you shine through me every day? Would you be, be bigger in me than I am in myself? And so God is always inside of us. He is always there. He dwells in each and every single one of us. And so we can use him all the time. We can let him take over whenever we feel weak or insecure or like we're struggling. Um, we just have to be humble enough to say, God, I need you. I can't do this alone. We need to come in this humility and just let him take over and be good. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, don't let your past or your present sins or struggles or shame hold you back from being a vessel of the presence of God. Don't, don't disqualify yourself because God loves to use imperfect people. Yeah, let your struggles, let your weakness be a testimony of his love, his goodness, his transformative power. Let it glorify his name. Let your vulnerability be a show of authenticity because there is so much power in testimony. There's so much power in vulnerability because it allows um, other people to see the Holy Spirit in you and say, I can receive receive that transformation for myself. I can have that exact same encounter with God. So as Christians, we need to be more vulnerable with each other because if we opened up about our weaknesses more, then we would recognize that we wouldn't, we're not alone, that all of us struggle, that there are no imperfect, there are no perfect people except for Jesus. And we would be unified in our struggles instead of letting them divide us. Um, because the truth is God's grace, his forgiveness, and his love is not based on whether you earned it or not. It's not about your ability. It's not about your, it's not based on if you're able to clean yourself up enough, if you're able to beg for forgiveness. It's not based on um, whether you do enough good stuff to cancel out the bad stuff. It's based on his power, his love, his nature, his mercy, his faithfulness. It actually has nothing to do with you. He loves you so much that he's going to work through you. He's going to forgive you no matter what, because that is your inheritance. That is your birthright. That he loves you so much. It's his nature, his majesty. God is not relying on you to hold him together. He's not relying on you to be perfect. He's not relying on you to have it all together, to pray a really good prayer of repentance. He loves you and he forgives you no matter what. He just wants you to be a little kid with a big dad who can trust him, fall back into his arms and be loved by him. So I want to challenge yourself, challenge you guys today as you go about your day, ask yourself, Where does my competency come from?
Where is my, where am I getting my ability? Am I faithful in myself? Am I faithful in my ability to provide financially? Am I faithful to, am I capable because of my relationships? What, where does your competency come from? And then another question, what lies am I believing about myself or about God that is stopping me from fully relying on him? Why can't I show him weakness? Why can't I show others my weakness? What lies are you believing? And the third and final question is, what does God want to use you for? What unique purpose do you have in the kingdom? Because we all have something. We were made for a time such as this. And God has given us a unique purpose and destiny. And I think something this generation holds so dearly is authenticity, valuing people being authentic. So what authentic thing do you have that God wants to use? Even if it's even in your weakness. Yeah. Amen. All right. We're just going to open up the altar at the end for like shouting, screaming, or weeping. Cause you just, there's like varying responses to every message here. Woo. All right. Next up, last but certainly not least is our youth pastor, Jacob Scheller. Let's stand and honor Jacob. I texted Aaron and said, uh, thanks for inviting me, but I ought to just head home after those three. Good Lord. Uh, I'm Jacob. If you have kids, I've preached to your kids, and now I'm preaching to you. So, uh, we're going from Genesis till now in eight minutes. So buckle up. All right. <laughs> all right. Genesis one, chapter two. Sorry. Genesis one, verse two. I'll start from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form. And the spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the waters. Is it? Yeah. That guy. The Spirit of the Lord hovers over the face of the waters. In this verse, we see the two themes that I'm going to be taking us through from throughout the whole of Scripture. You have the Spirit, the Ruach, that's the Hebrew word, hovering over the Tahom, the water. Now, the Tahom, artistically in Scripture, represents the enemy of man, the, the deep, the nasty, the chaos, the wild. I just like, imagine the ocean, right? If you were like in a plane and you jumped out off the plane into the ocean, you die. Like there's no question you're done one way or the other. The water is the enemy of man. But God shows his sovereignty by hovering over the water. Are you with me? All right, let's go. This this one's not on the screen. I had some shower thoughts this morning, a couple audibles. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus. If you have your phone, you're probably the only speed to get there. Exodus 14, verse 21. The Israelites are at the bank of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's coming from behind them. The Red Sea is in front of them. Moses turns to God and is like, what do we do? And God's like, why do you ask me? Part the Red Sea. So it says Moses takes his staff. He points it over the waters. And a strong east wind blows and the waters part. Does anyone want to guess what the word for east winds is? It's ruach. That same word for the spirit hovering over the water. The spirit is now blowing over the water, creating a wall. And the Israelites get to pass through because of the Holy Spirit hovering over the water is creating a way through the Red Sea. Are you tracking? Don't get excited yet. 
We're going to Matthew. This one, this is, this one's back. We're going to Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to flip because I want to read some scripture. All right, here we go. 14 verse 20, 28, 25. And the fourth watch of the night, he being Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking onto the sea, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come onto the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and was beginning to sink. He cried out. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? All right. We have this passage, right? How many of you believe that Jesus was the full spirit of God in the form of man? Okay. So if Jesus is the full spirit of God in the form of man, and he is walking on top of the water, this imagery is supposed to take us back to Genesis 1 of the spirit of God hovering over the water. And you now have the Spirit of God in the form of man hovering above the water. But this time, he reaches out to humanity, to Peter, who I think in this story represents all of us from now. And he reaches out to Peter and he says, come out onto the water. And you have Peter, a human, being called out into the water by the, the human, the Spirit of God in the form of flesh. And Peter takes a couple steps because he's, he is hovering with the Holy Spirit in human form over the water. But he sees the wind, he sees the chaos, he sees the enemy of himself, and he crumbles as he's hovering over top. And Jesus reaches out and grabs Peter and saves him. Immediately they are saved, they get in the boat, and they worship Jesus because of the miracle that they have just seen. Right? We're seeing a progression here. When the Holy Spirit blew apart the, the Red Sea, did he invite the Israelites over top of it? No, they went through it. And now Jesus is on the scene as flesh, like the Spirit made flesh, and he's now, we're progressing, he's inviting humanity to come hover above the Tahome, the deep, as we were meant to in the very beginning. Right? It's something we, we have been designed to do this whole time. Adam screwed it up, and Jesus has to come as the last Adam to solve it. And he reaches out for Peter, and he says he saves him instantly. And it's like that phrase, saves. He is the salvation of Peter as Peter is falling into the enemy of his of himself that he was supposed to be hovering over top of. And Jesus has to reach out to do it, right? Now there's one more step to this. And I, Acts 2, if you, like Christian said, if you don't know it, welcome back to church. Especially this one. The Holy Spirit comes and he brings tongues of fire on the heads of all the disciples. Right? The Holy Spirit comes and he inserts himself into humanity. And now every single disciple who has received the Holy Spirit and they lay hands on people, they have received the Holy Spirit. And we become little Jesuses, Christians. And now we are being invited symbolically with the Holy Spirit in us to begin to hover over 
the, the rival of humanity, the enemy of ourselves. God has inserted the Holy Spirit in us. That was the one thing we never had this whole time, right? The Israelites had to pass through the sea because they were being led by the Spirit. Peter took steps out on the water talking to the Spirit in the form of flesh, but he could not stand on his own. And now the Holy Spirit is deposited in each and every one of us unto the sake of joining Jesus out on that water and hovering over the enemy of ourselves. One point to wrap this all up, right, is that our humanity dies in the water and our spirit hovers over top. Who's been baptized in here, right? When you go down, what do we say? Your old man dies in the water. The man dies in the water. And when you come up, your spirit man is now above the water. Do you see how this imagery is from Genesis unto this point in human existence? That your body dies when you go under and your spirit comes hovering above it. You are spirit. You were baptized. Your old man is dead. Now the chaos and the, the rival nature of this world, the things that we are subject to in this world, we no longer have to walk through it. We no longer have to falter on top of it. But through the empowering power of the Holy Spirit, we get to walk on top of the chaotic nature of this world. All right, I got 15 seconds. Stand up and I'm going to pray. Jesus, I ask right now that you would give us a revelation of what is in us, of the spirit that resides within us. That we, like your spirit is the one that empowers us to have faith for a generation, to have access, active expectation. Your spirit is the one who empowers us in our weakness. We are made strong through your spirit, God. It is your spirit that is going to guide and lead this generation. In the areas that we fail as humans, your spirit will cover the gaps. Jesus, you have a heart for this generation. You have a heart for this people. Like the, like you said, when the crowds come to you and you said, I have compassion on them for they are like sheep without a shepherd. God, you are their shepherd. You are this generation's shepherd. So God, I ask right now that the Holy Spirit would be so tangible in our lives, Lord, that we would stop having the, the crappy thought process of like, I, I am built here for struggle when it's actually your spirit inviting us to come and ho- hover over top of it. Holy Spirit, we love you. We are thankful for your guidance. We are thank you f- thankful for your leadership. Lead this church, God, to hover over the waters. The chaos that crashes against us, would you lead us over top of it? And would we be conquerors and co-heirs with you in Christ Jesus? Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.